I'm going to try to preach today and probably next week as well on the power of a new and living way. The power of a new and living way. We'll be examining Isaiah 66, but the text for the title comes from Hebrews chapter 10. You could, if you want to, flip to both of those places. Hebrews chapter 10 and Isaiah 66. If the Lord will help me get myself out of the way, these messages or this message will be something that may challenge some of our assumptions, our habits, and hopefully help our eyes get on Him. That's what we need. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching." I love that passage. I want to talk about it just a little bit as you're turning over to Isaiah 66. I want to make sure we understand what the Hebrew writer is telling us. Jesus has made a way for us to have uninterrupted access to God the Father. A new and living way. Because of that, we can have boldness to enter into the holiest. This was a picture in uh, the Lord's tabernacle that there was a, a vestibule. That inside, there was the holy of holies, the holiest part that if you remember from the Old Testament, only the high priest could go in that part once a year. This was so sacred and so serious that they had a rope tied around his ankle because if he didn't repent of his own sins sufficiently, to God's satisfaction, he would die. And nobody could go in there and get him because they would die. God gave us throughout all of the children of Israel's history tangible pictures of his holiness. And we have all grown up in a culture where churches have turned God into something like Santa Claus or a genie. And I want us to remember, first of all, God is the most powerful being who has ever existed. And it should frighten us. It should scare us to approach Him flippantly or casually or however we want to. He, he, he's scary. He should be. Now, we should clarify for the children of God, we don't need to walk around in fear. We don't have to be afraid of what God is going to do to us. There's therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you've been saved by God's grace, He is a good Father who wants only good for you. And is never like angry or mad at you or wants to beat up. That's not how He is for His children. 
because He looks at us through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the point of this, by a new and living way. See, before Jesus died on the cross, there was in the temple a veil, a curtain, that was so thick... I've read in commentaries that you could have tied a team of horses to one side and one to the other and they could have pulled and it wouldn't have torn. This was a serious piece of material. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. And there was no more an area inside of that tabernacle or temple where you would die if you went. And this is a picture of now we can approach God with boldness, with humility, but with boldness and confidence that He will help us. Because Jesus has consecrated this way through the veil, through the curtain, which is His body. When Jesus says, I'm the door, you remember the, when He was talking to people and He said, I'm the door to the sheepfold. Anybody else who comes in a different way is a thief and a robber. Nobody can get into the sheepfold except through me, the door. He's not only the door, but He's also the curtain, the veil that used to block people from getting into the holiest of holies. And in His body, that is His flesh, being broken, torn, laid down for us, He made a way for us to get unfettered access to God's presence. If you get nothing else out of this effort, I hope the Holy Spirit will make that truth alive in our hearts. We have access to the omnipotent Father, to the King of kings and Lord of lords. All the other false gods are a joke compared to Him. All the gods of mythology, some of them are real, they're still false. They're a joke compared to Him. God is... The God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And because of that, we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. And then he says this, and this would be another sermon for another day, but I need to mention it briefly. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. You remember what James said? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you want something from God, ask in faith without wavering. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what God has in your hearts, individually. I'm talking about each one of you, and also for this church collectively. But we need to be praying, God, show me what you want. And at the same time, if there is a desire in your heart that you feel like is pure and from the Lord, ask Him for it boldly. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Part of the reason we assemble together is to motivate each other to have greater love and to be more serious about serving the Lord. And it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If there's ever been a verse for this time we're living in, do not forsake assembling yourselves together. We need to be together. Now, if you're sick, yeah, stay home. Get well. If you think you might have some germs you're going to spread, don't come that Sunday. But church is not the same online. We need to be together and exhort one another and help each other, encourage each other. Now, this is all in the backdrop as we go to Isaiah 66. 
Jesus has made and given us through his body, his death and his life, a new and living way. I'm going to read 1 through 5, Isaiah 66, 1 through 5. Before I read that, I'm going to try to take my time to get into this, and if if I don't get finished, we'll just work on it next week. Isaiah was a man who was given such revelation from the Lord. He was was a prophet of God. And the Lord showed him such prophecies that many scholars believe that the last several chapters of this book aren't even written by him. Because they say there's no way he could have known all of this. Listen, our God knows everything. And he reveals his will to those whom it pleases him to reveal it to. And this was a man of God who surrendered himself, I think, completely. You remember the attitude of his heart. Isaiah, when the Lord said, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And he said, here am I, Lord, send me. He had an eagerness and a desire to be used by God, but he also had this overwhelming humility. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a land of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have beheld the Lord of glory. You remember that exchange where the Lord sent an angel, and I don't know if this was literal or if it was in a vision, but he sent an angel with a hot coal and purified his mouth. God told him, you're good enough for me to use you because I'm not using you based on your own merit. I'm using you based on your willingness to submit to me. And so, the prophet Isaiah was a preacher, a man of God, surrendered to his will. And I have every reason to believe that he wrote this whole book. And that he knew things that were to come, that were beyond... His capacity. They were from God. He probably prophesied things he didn't even understand fully. I tell you what, I read a lot of this. You're talking about a new heaven and a new earth, Brother David. I don't understand a lot of this. I'll be, I, I, don't, I, I read it and I say, I'm not, I have no idea what that means. I've been studying it lately and said, Lord, you just open up my understanding. Show me, even in my heart, if my mind can't get some of it. So, this is... A little bit of who Isaiah is. This is the last chapter. With that background, let's read verse 1 through 5. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offers an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I will choose their delusions. I will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spoke, they did not hear, and they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. 
It's a big deal to hear the gospel. It's a big deal to try to preach the gospel. When I stand and try to preach something the Lord has put on my heart, I have a responsibility that I'll have to answer to Him for. A responsibility to try to do the best of my ability to preach what He has given me. And once I do that, the listeners have a responsibility to listen and to do whatever God shows you from what I try to preach. I'm responsible for preaching. I'm responsible for trying to submit my life to Him. I'm responsible for trying to be surrendered. I'm not responsible for what you do with it. That's one reason I pray for God to help me preach boldly. Because I have to answer to Him. Sometimes He puts on my heart things to preach that people don't like and and it bothers me because I don't like people to not like me or have their feelings hurt or any of that. But... Listen, I don't tremble at your voice. I'm not afraid of people like God is someone that we should tremble at His Word. His Word is serious. I'm not talking about being terrified or in perpetual fear, but He says, Hear the Word of the Lord, you that tremble at His Word. I want to go through some of these verses in a little bit newer translation, so we can examine them and not, not miss anything. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. <laughs> Whatever we think we can do for God. Oh, it's nice to try. It's nice to try to serve Him. It's good to try to do. But listen. Whatever you think you can do for God, the whole heavens that you look up in, that the Hubble telescope is still trying to find new things out there. And I don't know if this is true, but scientists think the universe is not only beyond our visual or telescopic ability to see, but it's actually expanding. I don't know if that's true or not. It would make sense if it is, because the Word of God would still be reverberating. But it's so big, we don't even know how big it is. That is the throne of God. What do you think we can do for Him? And a king, they like to sit on a throne kind of like this up here. They always, those chairs make me a little bit uncomfortable. Sitting up in a high place. And a not, it makes me think of a throne. And the king likes to sit in that. He likes to have a footstool. And, and people, they want to do that for their king. And God says, the earth is my footstool. You can make me one out of nice wood or gold or whatever you want to. He says, what is this house that you would build for me? You remember King David and Solomon, they both had a heart to build a temple for the Lord. And I think it came from a good place in their heart and it was a good thing. But the Lord is reminding His people, there is nothing you can build me that I don't already have. What is this house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? Brothers and sisters, where is the omnipotent Lord going to hang out? He's bigger than being confined to a building. And one of the things I pray, it's in my heart all the time, that God would help us see beyond these walls. He called us to the world, not just to come to church and encourage each other and feel better and then not think about it until next week. He's not confined here. And praise His holy name that He's not. I'm thankful that He works through us in ways and in places that aren't religious. 
I'm thankful for that. He says, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. There's all this stuff. There's all these things we could do for God. We could build a nice building. We could, we could reach out to these neighborhoods in a way that we would fill this building up and make ourselves feel really good, like we've done something for the Lord. And the Lord says, all of this is mine anyway. And then here's what He says. This is the one to whom I will look. This is the person I will recognize. This is the person I will listen to. This is the person who will move my heart. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. I don't know if you'll like this or not, but you know what I've been praying for this church? For God to make you broken. Uncomfortable. Broken, not safe, not calm, not content, not collected, not in a spirit of easiness, not happy. I've been praying for him to make you broken. Because unless he breaks you down and then builds you up through his spirit in the way he wants to, this place, this church is just going to fade away and disappear. And I'm not talking about the building. I don't say that lightly because there's been times in my life that I've been so broken I didn't know if I would survive. I didn't know if I would come out of it alive. So when I say I've been praying for brokenness, I'm not just saying that flippantly. It's a heavy thing to pray for. But listen, the only one God recognizes or is listens to or is moved by is the person who is broken. That's what contrite means, crushed. Who's broken in spirit. Who's humble before Him. I'm thankful for the spirit of humbleness that I feel here this morning. That maybe coming into a big building that could hold a lot of people with a handful of people and maybe us feeling a little bit uncertain or maybe even a little bit discouraged or a little bit like, Lord, I don't know what you want for the future... That could be a good thing for a little while to get us in a place of humility to remember that we never could do anything anyway without His power. Sometimes people get comfortable in their religious activity and forget that the only one God regards is the one who's humble and crushed in spirit. And who trembles at my word. We start praying, God, show me. Give me a glimpse of who you are. We'll tremble at His Word. We'll care more about what He thinks than what anybody else thinks. We'll become convicted about what He burdens us with rather than whatever's politically correct around us. And we're in a culture where the landscape is drastically changing. Politically, culturally, we have to be sure we stand on what God reveals. This is the one to whom I'll look, who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Let's look at this third verse. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. What a juxtaposition. What a contradiction. God's people were commanded in the law to slaughter various types of animals and various types of sacrifices. One of them was an ox. And there were times that God's people had to slaughter an ox, sacrifice it to him in order to 
satisfy his command. The Lord tells Isaiah, the one who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. One who kills a man is an abomination to the Lord, a murderer. We're not talking about self-defense. We're talking about a person sacrificing an ox is regarded by the Lord the same way as a murderer. The one who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck in a sacrifice. The one who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood, which was an abomination to the Lord. The one who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. This is heavy. What are we talking about? This, this is what's on my heart with this message I'm going to try to get into. There is no amount of religious activity that's pleasing to the Lord unless your heart is in the right place. We can come to church and sing, we can pray, we can have handshakes, we can act happy, we can testify. If our heart isn't pure before the Lord, it is as if it was not an offering. The opposite. You understand? This should make us tremble at His word. Not to be afraid to go to church, but to say, Lord, when I assemble with your people, I don't want to do anything unless you're in it. And when you do prompt me to do something, I want to do it so that you will be pleased because I'm afraid to displease you. Then he says this, these have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. Who's he talking about? He's talking about people who are making sacrifices, offerings, rituals. He's talking about religious people. By extension, I think he's talking about church people these days. These have chosen their own ways, their soul delights in their abominations. Brothers and sisters, I want to implore you. I want to encourage you and I want to implore you. As we go into the future, whatever it holds, we don't need to choose our own ways and delight in our own paths. We need to figure out what the Lord wants. A new and living way. We need to hear from His Spirit what He wants. It's not enough to just do what we've been doing. What does He want? They've chosen their own ways. Their soul delights in their abominations. He says, I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. I get concerned. When I go to churches that, as a routine, are always comfortable, always smooth, always predictable, always the same. Because when the Holy Spirit is present, He shakes us up. He breaks our routine. He calls. And if there's enough power, people answer. Isn't that what we pray for? For God to save the lost. When there's enough power of God, the lost seek Him and they are saved. They don't need any kind of religious coaxing when there's enough power of God. When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. They did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. We must, we must, prayerfully, individually, privately, as well as collectively, and publicly ask the Lord to show us what He delights in, what He wants. I don't want to do something that He's not pleased with. Even if it's what we're comfortable with. And just so you know, I'm not talking about anything specific that I'm aware of. I'm talking about the attitude of our hearts.
Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Do you tremble at the word of the Lord? Do you have any grasp of how weighty it is, of how powerful it is, how serious it is? Do we recognize that the word of the Lord created everything we see and everything that is unseen? Do we recognize that the word of the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory? of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you recognize that the word of the Lord is not bound by these leather covers on this book called the Bible? Do you understand the word of the Lord existed before there was a Bible? And I love this book, and it is the most valuable book on earth. But it's, it's dangerous when people elevate this book that I can hold in one hand to a, a position that it alone was never meant to be in. The word of the Lord we should tremble at is not just this written word on pages that a printer put here. It's the living word of God who pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and flesh and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus Christ, the living word, who gave us a new and living way. The Lord is near to those. This is Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Do you remember when God saved you, if you're saved? I've never been so broken. Just before. Just before He saved me. Up until the moment that He forgave me. I've never been so broken, so messed up, so desperate, so fearful. And I know for different people, depending on how old you are, what stage of life you're in, it, the emotions come differently. But when God makes you aware that you're not okay, that you're responsible for your sins, and that only He can help you, there is a level of brokenness that's unlike anything else. And once He heals you, many of us forget that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves those who have a crushed spirit. Many of us forget that that's what it takes for salvation, but it's also what it takes for service. There's a dear brother I know who was in the army, I think, when the Lord saved him or recently got out. But he was, he was an army man, postured. And he wasn't saved for a long time because he would not bow. He thought he could walk up front with a stiff posture and... <laughs> click his heels together and convince God to save him. It didn't work until God crushed him to the point that he was broken and bowed. That kind of humility is what it takes for salvation. But that man could have gone, and he's one of the humblest men I know, he could have gone right back to trying to serve the Lord with broad shoulders, upright posture, doing it all on his own. It wouldn't have been pleasing to the Lord. We forget at least I do. If you're anything like me, we forget that the same brokenness that God brought us to to save us is the same kind of brokenness and humble reliance on Him that must be there to use us. The Lord's near to those. You want God to be near to you? Don't be afraid to be broken. Let down your walls with Him. Maybe with each other. Be vulnerable with Him and maybe with each other. It's what it's going to take. So we can't just be good religious people and, and God use us like I want Him to. 
We need to be broken pieces God can put back together. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Why were these sacrifices unacceptable to the Lord? Why was the ox, the lamb, the grain offering, which, all of which God commanded, why had those things become unacceptable? Because the people were no longer offering it with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. They were offering it as a religious ritual, which was displeasing to the Lord. God is near to those who have a broken spirit and does not despise the contrite in heart. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that His glory may dwell in our land. Psalm 85, 9. Do you want His glory to dwell in this land? I do. Even if they're training this generation to hate America, I want His glory to dwell in this land. That's going to take Him, His power, His might, it's beyond anything we can do with education. or it's, it's been too long conditioned. We need His glory to dwell in this land and in the world. Psalm 109 talks about Him pursuing the poor and needy and brokenhearted. Psalm 145, 18, The Lord is near to all who call on Him and to all who call on Him in truth. Psalm 147, 3, He heals up the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals broken-hearted people. Period. I feel like I need to wrap up this effort today, but I'll probably finish next week. But I want to give you a little preview. We tend to believe that religious activity has some merit. That in the meantime, while we're figuring out what the Lord really wants, we can do some religious activity, go to church, sing some songs, tithe, take up the collection, do nice things, and that that's going to please Him in the meantime. We say things like there needs to be a balance between the power of God and activity. And I've heard that said many times in reference to a preacher and specifically, I've heard them talk about there needs to be a balance between revelation and preparation. That There needs to be a focus. We need more of a focus on teaching. That's what's wrong with everybody. If we just had more discipleship, everything would be okay. And that's part of what I'm going to get into next time. There might be some truth to that. But we're not taught in this passage, we're not taught in Scripture, we're not taught in the life of Jesus and in what He modeled for us that religious activity ever pleases God. We're taught that the condition of our heart pleases Him. That when we come to Him with brokenness, that pleases Him. Look at the people Jesus called. None of the religious elite. The dredges of society. Largely sailors and tax collectors the most unqualified religiously for religious work. Do you realize that? And there's a movement. This, this is on my heart, but I, I think I'm finished today. There's a movement in, in churches to try to remedy what only the power of God can fix, to try to remedy it with more information. We're the most information-saturated generation who's ever lived. We can look up anything in seconds on these boxes that we carry around, that have more computing power than what they sent the rocket to the moon with. Do you, do you realize that? We have all this information, and what's it doing for us? 
We need power. We need the transformation of the Holy Spirit, not just more information. So I want to encourage you, as I finish for today, I, I want to, first of all, I want to ask you to come back next week because I don't feel like I even got to what's on my heart. I feel like this was all a foundation. But I hope today is a good reminder that God has given us a new and living way, that this new and living way is powerful. That we are mighty through Him. That He is mighty to save. That we do not need to be discouraged or afraid. That we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear whatever viruses are floating around or whatever politics are floating around or whatever cultural unrest is floating around. We need to trust Him. We need to keep our eyes on Him. We need to be wise. Sure, but trust Him. We have a powerful new and living way through Jesus. And we'll talk more, if He helps me, next week about what that is and what it isn't and what it means for us as His people.